0: So from now worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The second reading can be followed on page 1049, and is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. The Parable of the Lost Son.
1: I wonder if I were going to ask you, um, if you got one word to say what the parable's about, what would you say it was? This is a parable about, Rosemary? About love. Fantastic, great answer. You've been reading the term card. Yes. Reconciliation. George? The The running father. The running father. Keep those ideas in your mind for a moment. I'm going to give you three different words this morning to think about for that parable. The first word is the word abandonment. This is a story about abandonment. We have in this parable a younger son who makes a really unusual and highly offensive request from his father for his share of the estate. As a younger son, he would have been entitled to a small share of the property on his father's death. The expectation would have been that he would continue to look after that portion of property and that in turn he would hand it on to his own sons. That's how families worked, that's how the rural community uh, managed to keep going, and that's how land stayed within the same families for generations. So, by asking for his share of the property early, here we have a son who is effectively wishing his father dead. And it gets worse than that because this son doesn't intend to stay around and farm this land or look after the property. Instead, he's abandoning it. He's going away. He travels to a far-off country and he squanders it through dissolute living. Not only then has the family been abandoned, the land has been abandoned. It's been lost to the family line. It will pass out of that family. And then as we read on, it gets even worse because once the money runs out, the younger son finds himself in need and hires himself out to a Gentile pig farmer. Jewish listeners would have been horrified much more quickly than we are that this younger son has now gone to work with pigs, animals which were unclean for them. Not only has he abandoned his family and his land, but now he's abandoned his Jewish heritage too. We cannot begin to imagine the pain of this father as he watches his son walk away and abandons everything that he has been given. So, it's a parable that offers us a picture of abandonment, but it's also a parable which offers us a picture of resentment. We have at the end of the story a rather bad-tempered and resentful elder son. We first meet him walking out working out on the fields And he notices that there's music and dancing going on in the house. Now, that's a bit strange, isn't it? This is his house, and there's a party going on. And nobody's thought to come and get him. Nobody's told him what's happening. He has to ask a servant what's going on. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was a party going on in my house that I hadn't been invited to, I might feel a little bit resentful. That's before he even finds out what this party's about, and there in verse 28, we hear how angry this elder brother is. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you've never I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. We hear it in his voice. The elder son's resentment has been fueled by the abandonment of his father and his land, probably shamed by the reputation of his family now, and his feeling taken for granted and overlooked and unappreciated. And he bursts out with this attack on his father. Actually, he can't even name his brother as his brother. This son of yours, he says. Not my brother. It's a story about resentment. But it's a story, too, about restoration. The younger son finds himself at rock bottom, so hungry he's even envying the pigs their food. And we're told that he comes to his senses. And he prepares a little speech and he sets off home to his father. Is he genuinely repentant at this stage? Or has he just worked out that actually he'd be much better off at home? The text doesn't make it very clear, unlike in other places in Luke. And I think Luke deliberately does that because he wants us to concentrate on the actions of the father and not the son. The father seeking out the son. If you notice, the father sees him when he's still far away. He's watching out for his son before he even knows that repentance is coming. His arms are open, his heart is filled with compassion before a word has been spoken. That is the restoration offered by this father to his beloved son. And the restoration extends to the elder son too because the father goes outside to the elder son and pleads with him to come inside. The father's desire is for both sons to enjoy his blessing. Now, as we've thought about parables over the last few weeks, we've thought about them as pictures, and then we've thought about them as mirrors, and then we've thought about them as windows. So I've created there for you three different pictures to look at that parable as. A picture of an abandoning son, a picture of a resentful son, and a picture of a father who longs for restoration. I wonder which one of those pictures resonated the most with you. I wonder which one of those pictures you want to go back and look at again later on. But it's time now for us to turn the picture into a mirror and to see what we see reflecting back at us. I wonder who you identify with most in this story. Perhaps you've realized that a part of you or all of you is running away from the father is demanding gifts from him but abandoning his presence and misusing what he has given now those of us that come to church every week might not find it very easy to think of ourselves as abandoning God but I think there are parts of all of our lives where we do leave God behind where we leave him out where we move away from him and reject his presence that might be when we go to work It might be when we go on holiday. It might be in the way that we use our money or our time or our talents. It might be that actually we don't want God all that involved in our health or our lifestyle or our nights out with our friends. Or it might just be that we get so busy rushing into every single day that we never stop to come into God's presence. We never stop and give him our full attention and invite him to be with us in every part of the day that is to come. Not only do we abandon God in some parts of our lives, I think we also abandon his people at times, just as the younger son abandoned his family and his, pre- his religious heritage. I see this when we struggle with our commitment to church. Maybe we stay away from church because, like the younger son, we want to do our own thing. Or perhaps we fear that our lives may be taken over and not our own if we carry on being involved in church. Or perhaps actually we're struggling and we don't want people to know what our weaknesses are. I know people who abandon church family because they feel it has nothing to offer them or that they will get nothing back. Or perhaps that they just have other places they'd rather be and other people they'd rather be with. When we take the life that God has given us, when we take the time and the talents that he freely offers us, when we take the people and the experiences that he surrounds us with and when we use them as we choose instead of how God wants, then actually we're abandoning our father. We're abandoning the father who loves us just as the younger son did as he took his inheritance and walked away. Now it might be that when you look in the mirror, that is this parable, it might be that you see more of the elder brother looking back at you, resenting the welcome that his younger brother has received, believing even that the father is acting unjustly in restoring that younger brother, perhaps wanting him to be punished or to suffer, or at the very least to have to live with the consequences of his actions. Perhaps there's a part of you just as there is a part of me that thinks actually after everything this young man has done, after the trouble and shame that he has caused, that he didn't deserve the welcome that he received. Now the nice and good and smiling Christian insiders might say that is the amazing grace of God. But it's still hard for us to understand. It's still hard for us to realize that our loving Father watches out for, and waits for, and runs towards sinners in the world today. Even those sinners that have committed the very worst crimes, murderers, terrorists, abusers, God really is waiting to welcome them home. God is inviting them to his feast when they turn to him, even if they turn to him in the very last moments of their life. And I think that's a concept which challenges very many of us. It's a concept that allows us to be resentful, to feel that others don't deserve God's love as much as we do. And I think that leads us to erect barriers around God's love, to restrict it, to put conditions on it. Resentment and misrepresentation of God, putting conditions on his unconditional love, exists in most of us and exists in most of our churches. And especially when it threatens to change the way our church looks or acts, we become resentful and bad-tempered like that elder son. I think that when we look in the mirror of this parable, most of us would say we can see some of both of those boys in our hearts. But I hope that as we look into the mirror, as well as seeing reflections of those sons, I hope we can also see the father himself. I hope we can see a clear reflection of who he is and what his love is really like. Because this parable shows us above all else that the father's love is a reckless love. There's a recklessness in the way he freely gives his younger son a share of the property. There's a recklessness in the love that lets this son go, even though as a father he knows it will end badly. There's a recklessness in waiting for him, in watching for him. There's real recklessness in running out to meet him. There's recklessness in restoring him to the full rights of sonship. And there's recklessness then in going after the elder son and attempting to reason with him and to try to help him understand that the celebration is to be shared with everyone who turns their head to the Father. I hope as we look in the mirror, we can see the Father waiting for us, for every one of us, running towards us because he loves us, waiting to shower us with his blessings and to invite us to the Royal Feast. Let's allow our mirror to become a window. Let's gaze out through the window into the world. I wonder what you see as you look through this parable. Let me tell you what I see. I see a world that doesn't know this reckless love of God. I see a world where people have abandoned him. I see a world where people are ignorant of him, or indifferent to him, or estranged from him. I see a world that is lost And I see a church that struggles to communicate what God's love is really like, to show the unconditional love of the Father. A church which sometimes seems too tied up in its own internal affairs, in attempts to regulate and restrict God's love, to put conditions on it, to make it for those who fit, for those who know how to behave, for those who deserve God. That's not a very encouraging picture. But beyond that picture and above that picture, through that window, I see a father who continues to watch over his world and its people. I see a father who will not stop looking to welcome us home. I see a father who recklessly sent his son to die for us so that we could all be friends of God. A father whose reckless love waits steadfastly to welcome those home who have been fully faithful all their lives or have turned to him in faith at the very end of their life. Those who have struggled with periods of abandoning God, those who have struggled with resenting God, all are welcome. The Father's arms are open. This is the reckless love of God. So may we pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the Father who watches us and waits for us. Thank you that you are a Father who loves us recklessly, a Father running out to meet us to bring us home. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to reveal to us those parts of our lives where we have abandoned you. Challenge us to see where we sometimes resent your love and your grace. Help us to see where both of those boys are in ourselves. And give us the courage to turn back to you, knowing that you will welcome us with your reckless love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.